Our first scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of 1 Timothy. I'll be reading from chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. Again, I'm reading from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ to godly and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Yeah. Hey. 
Thank you, choir. The desire to acquire wrecks havoc in the personal finances of millions of Americans. But more importantly, it is potentially damaging to our souls. Too many of us are susceptible to the myth that our bling or our stuff divines our sense of self-worth, our sense of security, our sense of satisfaction. And really, it says who we are. But the reality is that stuff will never satisfy. Stuff is vulnerable to loss and to destruction. Be gone in an instant. I mean, we've been watching television for the last few days and, and watched the Santa Ana winds come into our lives. They come every year. Just look at uh, Saddle Ridge fire going on in L.A. It's uh, a lot of homes have been lost. Your stuff isn't that safe. Let me just say that to you right now. Now, I'm sure you're, if you've looked at the title of my sermon, you're wondering, what the heck is he going to preach on today? Blingonomics. Well, the, the subtitle of this is when, when Wall Street and Life Collide. When I was going to seminary, one of my favorite shows on television, this will tell you how long ago it was, was The A-Team. And I loved Mr. T. I loved what he wore. I loved his stuff. I loved all of Mr. T's bling. So, I decided in those days to get some bling of my own. And so, I got some bling. Thank you, thank you, but I'm not done. You know, you have to, you have to get bling to be able to uh, make it in our world. And, and for Coach, I just want to say I know you're going to really want this gold uh, whistle. <whistles> but it's mine. And then I even went so far as to... And I, and, and, and I forgot my pinky ring. But I'm going to take this off because I can't see anything with those things right now. That, that's just for when I'm out in public, you know. Blingonomics. This is a world standard about us and our stuff. We, we spend so much time trying to gather stuff to keep us going, to make us feel more important than we really feel. I love bling. I'll be honest with you. I don't wear a lot of it, but I love it. We all know that Jesus teaches that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Our worth and our security are established when Christ died on the cross and bought us with the price of his blood. But we as a nation love our gadgets, our TVs, and our computers, and our phones, and our car alarms, and our doorbell cameras. All that stuff is really cool. I love it. 
But we in America struggle with the desire to acquire. All, us, all of us have the unction for consumption and it's affecting us. The year 2005 was the first year since the Depression, 1933, that Americans spent more money than they made and it's only gotten worse today. We receive over three billion credit card offers in the mail last year, we as Americans. Three billion offers. And, and I'll tell you that some of us have, you know, you get a card offer in the mail and you go, well, great, I can do this. And I have a friend who, she talked her dad into having five credit cards and they move money from one credit card to another, not because they can't pay them all off at once, but because they get more points. And so she has this thing. They go on vacation. She's going to Europe today, her and her husband, free. The whole trip is going to be free, hotels, food, everything, because she's learned how to do all of this. Well, I love this young girl. I, I officiated at her wedding, but bothers me a little bit. We, we have the idea that we can just acquire and acquire and acquire. And, and whether it's our homes or, uh, you know, once you get your home, my neighbors, uh, I love them. Uh, they have one daughter that they adopted and she lives in Hawaii and they don't see much of her and her five kids. But so they don't travel very much because of health things. So they keep changing things around in their house. They'll build this room and then they change this room and then they go back to the room that they changed not too long ago and rechange it and put carpet. Then, no, oh, they don't like carpet and they put tile and, and on and outside, all on and on and on it goes because they want their house to look perfect. Now, I'm not against your house looking good, but none of us are gonna make our houses look perfect. This idea is that we get it's, it's financial foolishness. Last year, more people in America declared bankruptcy than graduated from college. The desire to acquire is wrecking havoc in the personal finances of many of us in America. So today, we're going to look at one of Jesus' parables. It's found in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. It's a story where Jesus tells us about a Wall Street kind of a guy, an entrepreneur, a visionary, who lost perspective and fell into the myth that we're all susceptible to. That is, our bling will bring us a sense of self-worth or a sense of security. Let me give you the setting in this passage. Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it tells us, uh, Jesus is teaching a crowd of thousands. And he's teaching on a number of different subjects when all of a sudden there's an interruption from somebody in the crowd. Somebody yells out to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now there's something you know something about. A family squabble over money. Aren't you glad that... It's not happening to you right now. No fights in your home or in your marriage or, or family over money. 
Well, this guy is in a family fight going on over the division of an inheritance. You know the old saying, where there's a will, there's a relative with their hand out. I've watched more families dissolve apart because we parents think we have to save a whole lot of money and give it to them. And the problem is when you're gone, they'll fight over it. I say, don't put any money aside for your children. Spend it all on yourself and enjoy it. Because you deserved it, you made it. You'll only give it to them and they'll spend it on all that stuff that you don't agree with that they're spending their money on right now. So just enjoy yourself. Come with us when we're going to Israel. Just spend your money and have fun. I mean, you think I'm kidding, but I keep telling my son, son, I just spent your inheritance. Sorry, it's gone. And other than my bling, and I'm sure he'll want this stuff. Not. Families squabble over money. So that's what the scene is. This young guy comes and wants his brother to divide the inheritance. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? Then he issues a strong warning to, with thousands gathered there. He said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now just soak that verse in for a moment. A man's life, or a woman's, does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. But isn't that the way we calculate success? I mean, the more bling you have, the better, the more important you are. At least that's what our society keeps telling us. Please hear this. Jesus doesn't say that possessions are bad. Jesus doesn't say here in this passage, possessions are evil. He just says that you're not going to find life in possessions. Money is not good or bad. Greed is not defined by what something costs. Greed is defined by what something costs you inside. To drive this home, Jesus tells a great story. The ground that a certain man owned produced a good crop. So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all of these crops. The guy's already affluent. He's already hit the big time. He, Jesus doesn't criticize his affluence. He gained his wealth honorably. He worked hard. He'd gotten ahead. If Jesus were to tell this story today, maybe it would go something like this. This Wall Street success of a man pulls into his garage late on a Friday night in Rancho Santa Fe. He walks into his house, gives his wife a kiss, and goes and sits at his home office. He turns on his iBook, and what he sees staggers him. His company stock prices are soaring through the roof. He looks at an Excel spreadsheet projecting what's ahead, and it looks fantastic. He thinks about how far he's come since he maxed out all his credit cards and took out that loan against his house when he started his one-man show in his garage when he lived in Imperial Beach. He was, had a staggering return, and he is now faced with a dilemma. What is he going to do? 
with all that is coming his way. His profit line is still heading up and to the right. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my warehouse and build a much bigger one, and there I'll store my grain and all of my goods. He doesn't plan to do anything evil or illegal with his money. Maybe then probably he walks back to his car and opens the trunk and gets out some blueprints because he's been thinking about this a long time. And he brought these blueprints home and these plans will quadruple his infrastructure. His plans for a sprawling complex will lead to a kind of prosperity that he never ever dreamed of before. It'll mean that he gets to go global. Sure, it's going to mean a few more years of 16-hour days, but he's done uh, that uh, cost-benefit analysis. He's gone over all of the projections with his staff, and he believes he's covered every contingency. He reasons when payday comes, when he's go then he's going, uh, when he goes through all this enormous effort and expansion, but then verse 19 comes. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of good things laid up uh, for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. He says, finally, I'll have what I, I, we all long for. I'll have security for my family. I'll vacation at the best resorts. I'll eat at the finest restaurants. That's when real life happens. He no more finishes that thought than he's got a sensation in his chest a pain that starts to spread. He thinks it's probably indigestion, you know, a Maalox moment. It was probably the sushi he had for lunch. But quickly the pain shoots to his shoulder and then down his arm and then up into his neck and even into his jaw. He starts to stand up and he can't stand. He can't speak. And then his head hits his desk. 45 minutes later, his wife calls him. She calls him three times. They always head to their favorite table, uh, to their favorite Italian restaurant on Friday nights. It's kind of their date night together. She walks into his office and sees his head on the desk, and uh, she thinks that he's, he's sound asleep. And then she thinks, when is he ever going to slow down? She walks over and shakes him a little, and there's no response. And then panic sets in. And even though his body is still warm, he's gone. The autopsy says he had a massive heart attack. The irony is that a guy who developed a reputation in business and the financial community for covering every possible contingency had not planned for the one predictable event in life. It's not as if God has kept the future a secret one glance at a cemetery and we all know everybody dies. Even though his family and his friends mourn his loss, they celebrate his life, God speaks a word to him that never crossed the mind of the Wall Street crowd. Our scripture says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Because you see, we get what we have prepared for. So let me ask you, what was his fatal flaw? 
Why did God call him a fool? Was it his affluence? It can't be that. Many godly people in Scripture were affluent. Solomon, David, Nicodemus. And God used them in great ways. So what was it that he proposed to do with his money? Was it that? No. He's going to preserve it, grow it, and build bigger barns. So what was his fatal flaw? According to Jesus, a fool is someone who lives with no thought of God. No thought of God's activity in their lives and in the world. Maybe the guy, the guy reasoned that one day when he was sitting back and taking life easy, he'd reflect a little bit more on his soul and reflect a little bit more on God. But that day never came. He was so busy making a living that he missed out making a life. And Jesus concludes the parable by saying, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Are you rich towards God? Do you think through what you give to the church? And say, well, I can give this much because this is how much I have. And, and, and you figure it all out and you say, okay, yeah, I know that the Bible teaches that we should give a tithe 10%, but, but I just can't do that. I, I, I'm not trying to tell you to do it. What I'm trying to say is this is what God says. Because God will help you do it. Now, I'm not telling you to jump from the 3% that you're giving now to 10%. Because that had never last. Last year I talked to you. And I shared with you what my dad taught me. My dad, every church that we were in, they called him to be the stewardship chairman. <laughs> and his plan was simple. This next year, give 1% more than what you're giving this year. You can do that just probably with Starbucks coffee. Just cut back one a week, and you're going to get close to 1%. You know, Starbucks is really five bucks. And, and maybe you're only giving to the church whatever it is. I, that's between you and God. But what I'm saying is, within the next six to seven years, if you gave 1% a year more, just 1%, you'd be at a tithe. You'd be where your heart really wants you to be, but where you can't seem to make it happen in reality. It's what I taught people at Trinity. Year after year, people got the message. Not everybody did it, but some did it. And what they discovered was that, you know, in about five or six years, they were close to giving a tithe. And they were so excited about that. Now, I, I, I want to just encourage you to think about that. To, oh, this is the hard part. Pray about that. And ask the Lord, because see, that's growth. God doesn't want you to be perfect from day one. He knows that none of us can be perfect, even me. God knows I'm not perfect. But he knows that every year, every so often, we can grow in being more like the Son of God, who were to imitate our lives after.
So let me ask you another tough question. How do you find your self-worth? How do you define and find your own self-worth? The corollary question is, how valuable are you? Now let me say something to you, friend. You are worth the life and the blood and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the triune God. If we could get this straight in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives, we could walk away from a lot of deals that are out there. I don't need anything to prove my worth. I already, I'm already a treasured child of the Most High God, and so are you. My worth is, was established on Good Friday when Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and bought me with the price of his blood. And that's how valuable I am, and you are as well. We don't need to try to add value to our lives by another purchase and another status symbol. Jesus is saying don't try to find security in your stuff because your stuff is vulnerable. We've watched it on television with these two fires up in the L.A. area. Jesus is saying don't try to find security in your stuff. Your stuff really is vulnerable. Thieves can steal our stuff. Moths can eat some of our stuff. And it's all going to be dust someday. See, the guy in the parable that I was telling you about did a great job building his earthly portfolio, but he neglected to ever ask the question, God, what kind of heavenly portfolio do you want me to build? Friends, Jesus gave us the teachings in the book of Luke. We're going to look at it next week as well. And in there, uh, we're called to take our polygonomics, what the world teaches, and put it in relationship with God's word. We get spatially disoriented. We get upside down with our thinking sometimes. Jesus, he says to us, I want you to get right side up so that you can find your sense of self-worth. You can find, you can't find it anywhere else because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We're going to pray in just a couple of minutes. Yeah, it's a short sermon, but you know, some Sundays I'll do short ones and then I'll make up for that in other Sundays. This is a short one. As we pray, I want you to be thinking because we are now in the middle of our stewardship drive for this next year. A letter's hopefully going to be coming out this next week, and a pledge card will be in the letter, and we ask you to bring it back next week, put it in the offering plate, or mail it back to us. Yeah, we need it as soon as we can. Why? Because we're trying to put together what next year is going to look like. And if you looked in the bulletin, you'll see that we're $19,000 behind in giving right now. 
And so we need to be thinking about this because we are trying to make a decision about calling a full-time pastor. And we can do it. And that's the plan that's going to happen. Not a part-time pastor like me, but a full-time pastor. But we need you to ask the Lord to help you decide what you should give. Maybe you could give 1% more. God's calling us to be his people. He loves us. And he just laughs at all of our desire to acquire, although I really like this gold whistle. And maybe a couple of these gold chains. But other than that, See, he doesn't care about that stuff as long as I have a heart for God and I'm being rich towards God and giving to God what he deserves. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, all of us really want to be obedient to your holy word. We, we want to be able to tithe. Some of us, it's really hard. We love you, though, and we know that you will help us. And it may take five or six or seven or even eight years, but that's okay. You're just calling us to be obedient. You're not giving us a time frame. And we pray for our church. We pray for our stewardship campaign this year that as we begin to pray about what you want us to give, we can do that so that we can meet the needs and the hopes and the desire of where we're going. We are moving, Lord. This church is again in the process of moving forward for your kingdom. We kind of stalled there for a while after Bob left and trying to figure out what we were going to do, but, but we're moving again, Lord. All kinds of amazing, wonderful things. Prayer quilts are being made and given Outreach to children and to families is happening. You're calling us to, to Bible study and you're calling us to, to be generous, not only with our, our possessions, but with our abilities and our time and our energy. And so things are moving again. Thank you. Now lead us and direct us so that we can be as obedient to you as we possibly can. And we'll give all of our stuff to you. And you give back to us what we really need. And we love you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ for his kingdom. Amen.